Welcome everybody to Digital Parenting. I am your host Evelyn Cassina. Today I am delighted to be hosting an amazing person, Tara O'Brien, and she has dedicated herself to empowering people who are living with someone affected by ADHD. And I just want her to introduce herself to us. Um, she will tell us where she's coming from and give us a little bit more understanding about ADHD and how we can support either a member of our family who is suffering through Welcome, Tara. Hi, thanks, Evelyn. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, thank you for the nice introduction. Um, so for all of your listeners out there, I'm so glad to be part of your community and to talk with you about ADHD and technology. So I am a wife of and a mom to two amazing people who have ADHD diagnoses. And I've also spent 17 years in schools from teacher all the way to principals. And I am located right now here uh, in Phoenix, Arizona in the U.S. And my main goal right now is to really help parents learn how to reclaim their lifestyle and really understand ADHD in order to embrace it so that they can end a cycle of chaos and crises and instead just really live in a place of love with their family and a place of empowerment. And so part of that work is to really help them understand what ADHD is. So if, if you're not fully aware, if you've heard of the term or um, there's a lot of misconceptions out there actually about what ADHD is and it in a broad stroke it's a description for a person whose brain is wired differently now it is a medical term um, it is a diagnosis that you get because the neurobiology of a person's brain is different and it's the way the neurotransmitters are communicating um, even some of the research is showing the way that the neural connections are made or shape and structure of the brain is slightly different than you know what what we would call somebody who is neurotypical. People who have this diagnosis, what ends up happening is you see it as they have difficulty starting or completing tasks, or they may act and speak before they think. So it shows up as a level of impulsivity and they may have the need to move their body a lot, which we know, which gets classified as that hyperactivity. And ADHD can also show up for someone who can really hyper-focus on something to the point where time just disappears and they can spend hours upon hours upon hours pursuing this one task. Often people are highly creative and really have a different way of looking at the world and viewing the world. They can be really courageous. So that sort of flip side of impulsivity can be this courage and they'll just, they'll jump into things and give it a go. Um, and they can also be really sensitive to the world around them. And so working with all of those pieces and helping parents understand what's going on within their child helps them then be the guides, right? Help them navigate the world around them, which is set up by most most of us who are neurotypical. You know, um, Tara, I feel in your description that you're just describing me. I'm creative, <laughs> I'm hypersensitive, I can focus for so long. And my question to you would be for the parents who are listening, how do I diagnose my child or what kind of signs can I tell that my child is having ADHD? And is there a medical, like a medical process that I have to take my child for me to actually get that diagnosis instead of prescribing it to to my child at home? Great question.
question. So ADHD technically can be diagnosed at any stage in life, right? So many adults get diagnosed later in life, but what they look for are a series of symptoms that need to be present in childhood, usually between the ages of four and 12. And many of the things that you'll work through, there's um, it's on the DSM-5 and there are a variety of checklists that you can go through and, and look at and say, oh, are these consistently showing up in my life? And one of the big pieces around understanding ADHD and, and many people say, oh, I'm having an ADHD day or I have it. And that could be true. The other piece is that they actually start to impair life, right? That it's, it's getting in the way of functioning in a larger component of, of life. And for children, that often means school. So school is one of the first places where we see ADHD diagnosed, or at least the start of the conversation. And there is a formal process. Some schools will have resources that they can help a parent get diagnosed through. So if you're curious and you think, gosh, this might be something that's happening to my child, um, certainly talk with the school and talk with the teacher. It can also, the avenues can start through a child's pediatrician because they will have the same survey, the same set of questionnaires that parents take, that teachers will take to look at how are these behaviors impacting multiple facets of their life. And when you look at the questionnaires, you'll start to see that it has things around um, what happens during transitions, right? Are they able to start tasks on their own? Mm -hmm. Can they complete tasks? Or do they, what happens when you put, when they're hyper-focused and you pull them away from it, right? How do they transition from one thing to another? How are they responding to the people around them? And then most of the work can also then go through a neuropsychologist and they will often do the most comprehensive level of testing. And what we know is that there can often be other pieces around learning and working memory, um, anxiety, those components that also can be aligned with an ADHD diagnosis. So there are many free resources out there. If you find and you type in sort of ADHD symptoms or ADHD survey, you can get a list. There's, I think there's 12 different, very obvious criteria and you can go through and say, gosh, does this happen sometimes, always, you know, never. And then you can see if, if a lot of them are showing up, it's probably worth pursuing it with a medical professional in order to get the official diagnosis. Yeah, I think that is very important because what I've realized even within this COVID um, season that we are in, we are very quick to self-diagnose and then yeah. you, you and then we are also very quick to self-medicate and sometimes you're, you're medicating symptoms really you're not understanding what is happening and how am I able to get out of it or how am I able mm -hmm. to understand what is happening with my child and I feel um, with the introduction of technology I feel and this is in my context in, in, in Kenya that I've seen very many parents from birth we tend to introduce technology too early to our children as mm -hmm. early as while we are breastfeeding so I've seen very many parents they're breastfeeding while they have a phone in front of them right they start winning their child with the television so if the TV is not on playing a certain cartoon or certain music the child is unable to eat completely and mm. this also hinders some of their milestones and then you realize maybe at the age of three or at the age of four there are certain things your child is delaying and you st you start now diagnosing this and diagnosing that and you you tend to do things that you don't really have an idea with both of your children how early in life did you realize or did you get the diagnosis of adhd in each of your children yeah great question and really um great thoughts around this like as adults we're living with technology in our hands which is very different for example than the way you know i was raised this wasn't around um so i i i love that part of the conversation and the piece that like we move to diagnosis or to tools really 
really quickly. So my um, son started showing symptoms around the age of four. And we, um, he was always an active kid. He was, you know, he's a boy. So there was a lot of conversation in the schools and his preschool and stuff like that of like, oh, he's just really active. But we noticed that he, um, transitions were really hard, even from like a young age, you know, two or three years old. But some of that we wondered was that because he didn't have his full language spectrum, right? So he couldn't fully express what he was curious about or feeling. But it was really around the age of four, right before he went into kindergarten, that we noticed that he was um, having trouble with his own emotional regulation, with his ability to follow multi-step instructions without um, lots of support. He understood them. Um, but there was also a willfulness in there. And we were getting really curious about, is this ADHD? Is it um, just, he's got a great personality and he's going to be a, you know, a leader because he's headstrong and this is what he wants to do and that's it. Um, and for us, where it came, really showed up as uh, one day he, I don't even remember what he got in trouble for, um, but we sent him to his room to cool down and to take a break. And when we came back into his room, you know, a little while later, sort of knocked on the door, it got really quiet. He had absolutely destroyed his bedroom. He had ripped all the bedding off of his bed. He had pulled all the stuff out of his drawers. He had ripped all of the, you know, art that he had done off of his walls. And he was sitting in the middle of the floor, just crying. And I remember thinking, uh, what what just happened? Like, how did it go to this? Like, how did, how did, how does this little body have this much expression in it? Right. Um, and almost some superhuman strength. Like I thought, how did he get his mattress like off his bed to rip off all the sheets? Right. Um, but he looked up at me and he said, it's okay if you're mad at me, mommy, I don't deserve to live. Wow. And I just thought that's not what four-year-olds typically say. Yeah. And so we just sat, I just sat with him until I got him calmed down. And, and I had the one thought of how am I going to send him to school? Right. He was in preschool, but how am I going to send him to sort of a traditional school? If when I ask him to do something simple and my goodness, I wish I could remember what the request was, but it was not something big. He has this kind of a response, right? He's going to get kicked out of school. You know, he can't trash his desk. He can't have this major outburst. He's just no school is going to have space for him to respond like this. And so we started getting really, really curious about what his behavior was telling us. We started really paying attention to his moods throughout the day, how sleep affected him, how food affected him, how exercise affected him, um, how he was dealing with challenges. And what we found is that when things were hard for him, he would absolutely fall apart. And so when we went into schools, we started to have the conversation with his teachers and say, hey, this is what we're observing. Um, we'd love to know sort of what you're observing. So we, we tried to make a, an ally of the teachers very quickly. And we noticed that he was wired differently. And we very um, immediately started changing our home and putting structures into place so that he could feel successful more often than not. And so that he started to understand, hey, I respond to the world one way and I need some support and help. And it's been a long road and we're still on it of helping him navigate a neurotypical world from you know us being his guide. My daughter was a little different. Um, she, her, many of her symptoms didn't manifest until later in school. And there's still some conversation out there, whether it's full ADHD or whether she was just managing anxiety. And so, um, but she too had a rigidity around her. She got very anxious during transitions. Um, the compliance element of school was very difficult for her because she was a, wanted to please, but wasn't always confident that 
that she could do it or she would uh, misinterpret instructions and therefore would start doing something and then get in trouble and then she just fell apart. So those are elements of, of ADHD, but there's also a component of anxiety. And so it's what makes this disorder really tricky is because there's a lot going on yeah. in these kids' brains. And you know, it's it's really interesting and what I'm really learning and, and, and really loving out of your response is even the choice of words. Because one of the things that I've realized and even heard from you is at no point did you blame yourself <laughs> as a parent that what did I do wrong? You know what I mean? Um, because I feel like sometimes even with the parents that um, I have conversations with, they would, you know, in my culture, they would think that this is a curse, for instance, uh -huh. that my children are in a, in, a, in a certain way, they're behaving in a certain way. Parents have taken that a notch higher, whereby, especially when they're in public with their children, they forget the person who needs support. And I heard from you saying, your children had to understand that they respond to the world in a certain way and they need, they need support. And as yep. a parent, it is our obligation to support our children where we feel that they need a little assistance and so what i've seen actually in my situation and sometimes very sad is that uh, the, the child's feelings here or the emotions they really don't matter you want your child to behave in a certain way because when they're reacting or when they're responding towards something you feel embarrassed as a parent and you want to shun the child and you even hit the child and you behave in a certain way that agitates that child more as opposed mm -hmm. to understanding and helping them calm down i have listened as you were you were talking i was writing notes and i was i was hearing you say you need to pay attention you need to observe and those are the things that you were doing you were very curious with behavior and wondering if if a response at home where the child feels safe could be this big what would happen in a space where they have other people or other situations happening around them i have heard you talk about the ecosystem you engaged you engaged the tutors in school the teachers who at least would help you understand what is also happening in that situation once you and your husband noted and observed this curious behavior how did you explain to the children or what was the process of helping your children understand that their responses are different from other people uh, yeah well it was actually just being that honest with them mm -hmm. and saying you know and it's that same language of no blame mm -hmm. there's no blame or shame there's no space for that when you're when you're raising a child with adhd you could even say in general right shame and blame are not going to help in any situation. Um, and it's being aware enough to sit down and, and with them and say, hey, the last time this happened, you know, um, we could take a birthday party, for example. Yeah. Birthday parties are an absolute delight, right? They're fun. We can't wait for them. They are highly stimulating. They often don't have routine to them. Um, they can be a total disaster if, <laughs> if you're not prepared for them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? And so taking a moment like a birthday party, Party and sitting down and really thinking about your child and saying, what do they need to be successful? And what are the expectations of a birthday party? And how do I help my child understand this? So I remember I was working, um, this came from my own child, but working as well with another family. And it was one of those moments where it said, okay, what is the goal of the birthday party? The birthday party is to help the birthday child have an amazing day. So that means 
all of the attention is going to be on that child. So you as the birthday participant, right? The party participant means that you're not the center of attention. So you're not gonna get the extra ride, the extra time on the slide, the extra few minutes. You don't get to hit the pinata more times or whatever it is. And it's being very clear about that to your own kid. You know, even at three, four, five years old, you can say to them, hey, where are we going? We're going to a birthday party. Who's the birthday all about? You know, it's gonna be all about Evelyn. Great, so what does that mean? Everything we're going to do is to make sure she's having an amazing day. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna make sure you play her games. She gets the first piece of cake. She gets the extra time on the swings, right? And you help them understand that that's the purpose of the party. And then you say, when you, you start, A, you watch, but B, you also say, when you start to feel that you're getting frustrated and you help them connect into their body, that's one of the things we, we have a physiological response before we have a neurological response. So when we can, or a, a thinking response. So when we can help people tie into their body of like, hey, when you get that flutter in your tummy, or when you notice your hands starting to crinkle, I want you to come find me. And we're going to take a walk or take a few deep breaths. or we're gonna go to the bathroom or something that breaks the, the moment and gives them a pause. And you recognize that they need a deep breath or they need a hug or they need just a like, you're doing an amazing job making sure that the birthday girl is having her best time. They need some positive reinforcement, which gives them a little dopamine hit if we're talking on a brain basis, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, some reinforcement. So it's this combination of like recognizing your child, looking for those behaviors, understanding how it shows up in their body, and then helping them navigate the situation. And over time, they get better and better at it. And it's, but it's clarifying what the, the societal expectations are before you go in and making sure everybody's clear and do you need a snack before you go? Are you feeling rushed? You know, all of those things. And this can go down, you even mentioned like the grocery store or the, you know, the, the shopping center. If there are expectations in there, if you have them, if society at large has them, take the 45 seconds in the car and say, okay, we're going into the store. What is the goal of going into the store? We are, you know, not going to touch everything. We have 10 things to get on our list. I want you to keep your hand on the cart, you know, whatever it is. And you're just like, resetting them while you go into the store. And then while you're in the store, you praise them. Thank you for keeping your hand on the cart. You're doing an excellent job. We are almost done, right? And if you notice that either you as a parent are stressed or emotional, or you just want to run in, the last thing you want to do is go to the store. This is annoying that the parking lot was a mess, whatever it is, right? How do you center yourself so that you can be centered for your child so that your child can, like everybody walks into the situation calm. And those are the pieces that we can do over and over again that build the emotional awareness. We name our emotions. We start building tools at a very young age. You know, taking a deep breath is free and it's fast. Um, my, my son, for example, is very tactile. So we used to have really smooth, like little stones um, that you can, you know, sometimes we can buy them from the florist or a marble or something. And it was like, put this in your pocket and then he could touch it and roll it. But that's what he needed, right? Like that wouldn't work for my daughter she'd be like I don't want this and she'd end up like throwing the marble well that doesn't work for her so she would need something else and what we end up doing as you mentioned earlier is instead often we're like here just play a game on my phone or um we talk through our teeth in that real harsh like you better behave or you know I'm gonna get upset or you're gonna have consequences so a lot of it is about front loading the situation how do we help them and then if it all goes pear-shaped and it's a mess at the birthday party it's a mess in the store how can you just regroup or just 
decide, you know what, we need to go and that's okay too, right? How to, or, or you know, and, it, and it's not gonna be perfect every time. You know, if you, yes, you gotta get the 10 things cause you have to cook dinner that night and your kid is a mess, then it's just like, okay, can you sit in the cart and we're gonna like power through this or we are gonna listen to a song together or whatever those components are. But chances are those are going to be more rare or rare if you are doing a lot of the front loading of how do we navigate a neurotypical world if you have a neurodivergent child? It's almost like a, it's like a game. Hey, this is the level we're playing right now. How do we get through this? So what I'm hearing from you is the conversations that you're having with your child, whether they're neurotypical or not, are mm -hmm. conversations we need to have with our children. Um, I remember there's a point my son became uncontrollable at the supermarket and we had to stop shopping because we had a conversation that we are going to the store and this is the list of the things that we need to get. So if it is not on the list, we probably have not planned for it. And there was a conversation about planning and buying things out of a plan, not just picking things because you think you have seen it and you want it. Mm -hmm. And we had to stop our shopping because he was becoming uncontrollable. How do we bring a conversation like this in terms of, you know, setting boundaries, you know, setting examples, having conversations with our children on what our expectations are and bringing in technology? Because I feel that we as parents, we are also soothing our children with technology. Mm -hmm. We are using it as a form of punishment and blackmail. <laughs> yeah. I think our children are as smart. They are really smart. So they know how to play their cards for mm -hmm. them to get what they want. So for example, if I misbehave in public and I don't want to shame my mom, she will give me her phone. I will play games and I will feel good. And after that, you find the emotions of the child are all over the place. You ca They can't settle down because maybe they were playing a very aggressive game or they start having other kinds of emotions and they can't pull back into the, the schedule or the system that you have for them. So when we are dealing with technology, at a point of introducing certain things to children who have ADHD, how yeah. do you go about it? Again, you know, it's a great question. And again, I think that's the piece of knowing your child. But I would say one of the components that you mentioned just in your story around if we're going to use technology as a tool in the moment, right? Because sometimes we are desperate and we do just need to finish the shopping or we do just need to get through the moment. And the technology is a distraction and it's a, it allows them to go very um, myopic right? Like very close niche. Then we need to recognize that when we pull them out of that world, all of those emotions are still there and we're still going to, going to need to process it with them. Like we, they, they don't go away. And I think that's one of the mistakes that ends up happening is we say, okay, we're done shopping. Give me my phone back. Well, they don't want to. Now we're in a power struggle and we, we haven't, we still need to deal with whatever situation came up that made them emotional in the first place. And so we then move into consequences or move into punishment. And what they need in that, eventually in that moment though, is some soothing, and support first before we go into teaching and end consequence piece of it. Like, hey, remember we said we weren't going to buy anything off the list or, um, you know, I asked you not to do that. And so that we don't get into that habit of like, if I act out in the store, I'm going to get the phone because we don't want to create that pattern either. So when it comes to technology, I think parents often want really hard and fast rules. And while we can certainly make recommendations, a lot of it is knowing your child and knowing the situation because I do think it's situation dependent, which is what ends up getting getting us so confused, right? Because one time we can hand over the iPad or the phone or the computer and it's no problem. And some other time it causes this massive tears, screaming ordeal, right? And I think what's confusing about that is, well, what's going on? Like what happened just before the the technology use? And so I think when parents are looking at how, how do, what role does technology have in my life? It, it, they, it's about intentionality and really designing it with a way of like,
like, what's my larger vision here in terms of life in general? Like, what are, what are things we really value? You know, so if it's like, we value sleep and we value family dinner and we value um, outside time, like all of those things need to be built in your life. And then technology fits in, in other places as well, right? It supports those things or it fills in some of the gap. You may also have a home that says, I really support technology. It's important. Well, great. So how are you then going to pull those pieces of technology in? And is it passive or is it active? And this was one of the things that was really interesting when raising young kids and raising a child with ADHD, the difference between the type of screen, the actual physical screen and whether things were passive or active. So we noticed that it totally changed both how they interacted with the device itself and their ability to transition out of screen time. So like television didn't have quite the draw as something like a computer or an iPad or a phone, you know, a tablet or a phone. Um, TV shows that were short versus a movie that was longer. Something that was on demand or we had recorded it or they could like fast forward through commercials versus things that um, you just had to sit through. Almost like when I was a kid, right? You had to like watch the commercials anyway. And being able to look, really look at those and say, what happens with my child? Our kids got tablets um, as gifts from some family members at a, at a young age. And we noticed that they couldn't, they couldn't use them. They love them, but that, that like television show that they were watching some little Disney show, you know, 20 minute show that they were watching on the iPad turned into a major ordeal when we said it was time to turn it off compared to watching the exact same 20 minute show on the television. And so that idea of like, you're in your own little bubble with the screen in your hands and there's only a, you know, 12 to 16 inch visual field is so different than when they're sitting on a couch and there's a large screen sort of across the room. And so we had to pay attention to those pieces. And at one point we said, okay, the tablets need to go away for a little bit because it's not working, right? Like why is the, you know, Mike the Knight or whatever the show was such a problem on the tablet, but it's not on the television. And so it's that piece around being aware. And then the, the active versus passive, like our first sort of foray into some gaming um, was around the world, like Minecraft, right? Our, our, I think our son was about seven. He asked for a Minecraft account and it was again, totally different to watch him build and explore and be creative, right? Like they're digital Legos. But even then, like paying attention to how much time could he really handle it? And I remember this one time he came out of his room um, and he was like, I can't be on Minecraft anymore. We're like, why? He's like, I'm getting lost in the world. Like, I'm not really sure where I am. And he was, he was like seven. Like, that's amazing that he had the ability to, to hear that, right? And to say, I, I need a break um, from that kind of, a, from that kind of screen. Wow. I'm just hearing from you also, the type of screen you mentioned is a very big difference. And how then would you advise a parent who already knows that their child has ADHD and mm -hmm. they want to introduce technology in terms of the kind of gadget to get? And also you mentioned, you know, the interaction within the content, if it is passive or not, or it is active. What would your advice be on the onset? Because I do understand, as you mentioned, this is about knowing your child. It's very mm -hmm. relational and it's also very different with each child because also children have their own different personalities they respond to things differently yes. and i'm just thinking about a typical parent um and in my situation right now we have to do two or three jobs to just make ends meet right <laughs> you really really want to be there for your child right you're feeling like you know what i'm in the house i have 30 40 minutes but i still have to do one more thing i have to respond mm -hmm. to one more email and i want to engage you in technology how do how does a parent navigate now knowing this is the kind of technology I will start with um, as I'm observing my child, as I'm 
um, seeing how they're interacting and responding to the technology. Um, in my country right now, I'll be honest with you, Tara, nobody really cares about the TV. We are all on handheld devices okay. because we can mobilize ourselves in the house. I want to go to the toilet. I have my phone. Yep. I want to watch a movie in bed. I have my tablet. And yes. <laughs> I feel this also came as a, a negative effect with COVID. And I say this because when we got locked down last year, most of the schools told us just get a device that can get on Zoom or mm-hmm. that can get on Google um, Google Classroom so that you have Google Meet mm-hmm. and we shall do our classes there. Okay, so we all rushed into the stores. We bought phones were affordable at that point, so we bought phones. Yep. Then we downloaded this one app for one specific reason. We need to learn. But what we didn't understand thereafter is um, classes will be over or there are times in the day that your child is not in class and at those moments, they want to interact with very many other things. Now, yes. because they have the flexibility to go into spaces, into rooms, and to do their things independently, we got into a space where we got confused. Very many parents now started saying, they would call me and tell me, Evelyn, I can't get my child off their phone. Mm-hmm. And I want to understand the situation. I want to talk to them, but they're just on their phone. So I start helping them, you know, it's like we are firefighting. And I think for the last one year, everybody in my space is firefighting, literally. But think about a child then who has ADHD. And you, you know, you just went into the deep end, got them this phone, and they don't want now to use the TV because really nobody cares. Um, I'm a parent who wants to tell my child, you can watch this. Let's pre-screen this, for instance. Let's see how you you navigate this space. What would you tell that parent? Where do they start? Because for me, those are the questions that I get and I want to throw it on to you. Where where does the parent start? Because there are those parents we are helping who are already feeling very overwhelmed. But also there's a parent who has been withholding themselves from um, exposing their children to technology because of that fear. So answer um, the parent who is feeling I'm overwhelmed. This is where I am. My hair, I feel like pulling my hair out. <laughs> and then tell the parent who feels I'm really scared. I have seen very many children getting lost um, and these screens are also probably agitating their situations. I'm scared yeah. of introducing technology to my child. Yeah, that's so great. And that's so true. COVID in particular just accelerated our tech use um, and the handheld device consumption. And, and we do. We love to be connected. And the people who are developing these apps and these programs know that. And they are designed to draw us in and be very addictive and to be very um, attention grabbing. So I think there, there, there needs to be some level of acceptance and like none of us are bad people, right? This, they are using a ton of neurobiology and psychology to get us to want to use their apps. So like we can give ourselves some grace in that place and then we can get strategic. And so when we're thinking about, we've handed over this device, it was for school originally, right? So great intention, they need to get on Google Classroom or Google Meet or whatever it is. There, I would say there are three ways you can think about what you can do online, whether it's a handheld device or not. So there's the passive consumption of whatever, watching shows, being on YouTube, um, any of the social media platforms, those sorts of things. There's the active and creative piece, the generative type of technology. So these would be things where you are are using a different part of your brain. Um, Video games fall into that play, apps that help you draw or do art, um, editing videos. They're sort of generative, creative coding components. And then there's a third column that has a social component to it. And that's one of the things we really saw emerge in the when COVID hit, when kids couldn't be together face to face, right? They wanted to still have their conversations and chat and those sorts of components. So there's a, a social element. And so part of this is looking at on this device, we can do all three and the desire will be to click back and forth between them easily, right? They're designed to do that. So as parents, we need to decide, are we okay with them doing these three things, right? Pass 
passive consumption, active con active generation of, of digital content and being social. And then at what levels? So for somebody who's brand new and thinks, I don't even want to give my child a phone. It's just going to open Pandora's box. I, I understand. And I hear you. One of the things that we know is that we can teach kids some of what's going on. Like we, I don't ever hide from, from children I work with the fact that they are going into a world that is highly designed to manipulate them. And kids actually don't really like to be manipulated. And when we tell them that like each app is designed to hold your attention and like don't fall prey to it, they have a different level of ownership. Now, not every child, but they, they do understand that there's a mechanism here. And kids with ADHD who can be very susceptible to the, uh, you know, three to five second image change, the high level of control, that piece of like, remember these apps are designed to manipulate you. So there's things that we can do to break up the, the, the thought patterns or the thinking routines. And one is that we can say you get X amount of time of passive screen, Netflix, YouTube, whatever, whatever streaming you're going to do. And as parents, you can actually put parental controls and say, when you've used X amount of YouTube time, you actually can't get back onto that app or onto that, that website, or we're going to lock out your streaming app. And while that's more of a regulatory piece, and those can at times like make your kid upset, you can start there. It's a place where we can feel as adults, we have some control over it. The other piece is to, then is to look at how else are they using the technology, right? Are there, what do you know about your child? Do they love drawing? Okay, great. Well, there's apps that they can learn to draw, right? That they can be doing some pretty amazing things online. And yes, I'd love for you to go out and buy canvases and paper. And sometimes that's just not possible. Sometimes you are someplace where it's like they want to be on a device. Well, you can teach them how to do those components on the device. And it's still a generative process, right? They're still making something and it's a different part of their brain. And so how can we help them find things that they're interested in? That's the other component to this is kids um, right now. And again, with the lockdowns of COVID and stuff, opened up a whole world around coding and design that I don't think many kids were exposed to initially. And, you know, we have a pretty pro tech home here. We're also relatively regulated. Like we turn our internet off every night so that everybody goes to bed and nothing is pinging at us. But my son was really bored at one point during COVID and he asked a friend to borrow like one of those VR Oculus um, glasses and ended up thinking it was so cool. Got online, found a, found a video to teach himself how to code a virtual reality game and built a VR game like a bowling game because he was he was bored like that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been locked down because we would have been so busy and it wouldn't have happened if he we weren't in a space we're saying yeah you doing generative things online learning and creating online is actually a really positive space and then the social component that was one piece that was really new to our world and having to actually really be open to it because i i can't we came into covid wanting to restrict how much time our kids were on screen um thinking gosh you've had enough right we want you outside playing those sorts of things but we realized that like that social connection was so important and my son connects through things like discord and video gaming and playing multi-person games and that's where his friends are my daughter is on like you know group chats and google hangouts and those sorts of things and so how do we help make sure that they have the right tool to connect and then we have to teach them how to connect online right how do you play in the digital playground when we first took our kids to play park playgrounds we taught them how to wait in line for the swings and how to go down the 
slide and how not to throw sand and you know all those pieces well it's the same component now now they have a digital playground and we need to work with them on understanding how do you navigate the digital playground so that they can stay safe so that they can interact well so that they can leave situations that don't feel good and have some instinct around that so that the, their world of technology is just a component of it and kids with adhd you know even adults with adhd yes there is a, a desire you're bored get online right it's really intriguing keeps you super um stimulated but when we say hey don't forget you're going to do something passive something active and something social it, it shifts how they use their technology and it's not just all passive consumption where and that's part of what gets us into the like i don't want them watching more tiktok or i don't want them on instagram reels for hours like how do we get them to do something other than just consuming media and then i would say the other piece with our kiddos is and this comes to us is really understanding the apps that we're getting them into. So both of my children, um, until they were of age, like we didn't make Instagram or Facebook or TikTok accounts because it was a world where there was just too much going on. And we knew that we couldn't help them navigate it successfully. It was going to take too much time on our end, but we knew that eventually they were going to go in there. So what were the sort of precursors to that, right? If they wanted to make fun little dance videos, like, could they just make those? And I can host them then on my private, you know, YouTube channel so that they can send it to their friends. Like it's understanding like what the desire is and then using resources like common sense media or um, looking at different online forums where you can look up and like actually look and say what's going on with this app because there's an education component here for us. And I think that's one of the things that makes us so fearful is technology changes so fast. You're like, how do I stay on top of it? Well, that's part of our world. And we just say, no, you can't download another app or you can't, you can't go there until I've done some, some work on it and help me, right? As your children get older, my son's now a teenager. And before he presents a video game that he wants to buy or download, he knows I'm going to ask certain questions and he can do a little of that research for me ahead of time. So it's, it's not being afraid of it, but it is putting intentionality around it and really making some decisions as a family first. I really love that response. I love the fact that your son was able to just teach himself how to code out of a moment of boredom. It's one thing I tell my children all the time. One, your boredom is not my business, but <laughs> you will create amazing stuff in your space of boredom because you start to think. And I have realized even when I'm telling them that slowly they've stopped asking me, what can I do? You know, so I love even when you talked about screen time and you you broke it down so well and just allow me to be using this in my explanations. There's active screen time, there's passive screen time, and then there's social. And I feel once we do understand as parents that our children could be doing one of the three or we can encourage them to at least have a balance while they're um, in front of a screen, not just passively consuming content they can create. So how do we stay safe while we are in these spaces? I love when you say that. I also love that you talked about common sense media. It is the tool that we use um, even at home to pre-screen our content. And if mm -hmm. the one thing I tell my children and I even tell parents, when your child comes and talks about, say, a certain game, you cannot say you didn't know about it when you have tools that can tell you what it is about. However, you said something very important. Let your child go and do that research. You're teaching them how to do research and you're thinking, I also want you to make a decision based on what you read if that mm -hmm. content is good for you. Does it have violence? Does it have sexual content? Is it age appropriate? And I've been telling parents, give your children these tools and equip them on how to use them because we are not with them all the time so we can guide them and hopefully even when we are not within their space when somebody says hey guys let's go and download this app your child will be that child who says um have we pre-screened that app to see if it is age appropriate for us and that helps i 
feel like that really gives them an edge it helps them to protect themselves and protect their friends and even for the parents who feel overwhelmed Tara has told you here that you have information there are tools all you have to have is the intentionality and have purpose because you have to understand what is the goal here um, and I believe as parents we do generally have a vision for our children we have goals we might meet them sometimes we fall short but ideally when you're driven towards something and you have a goal that is in front of you like I have to meet that goal or the, the, the desire is to at least meet this goal you have tools around you you have support you have help you have a podcast like this that you can just keep rewinding and listening to all the amazing feedback and amazing tools that you're being given so that you get out of the space of chaos there's something very interesting I saw in your profile Tara it is about supporting people to get out of the space just transforming minds to get out of chaos and crisis to a space of calm and joy that for me is so amazing you want people to live a drama free life with their children I don't know is that achievable drama free is it achievable Tara <laughs> I do oh well obviously I believe it's drama free now that doesn't mean that there isn't yeah. you know passionate conversation or um your child advocating for something they want right where, where I see drama fitting in is a, is a place of like chaos and deep tension and feeling out of control and to me a drama free life is one where there's conversation and planning and discussion and you're moving forward together into decision making and and each person is seen and heard wholly and completely and they have a voice within the home now that maybe sounds really idealistic but I I know from living it myself and from helping families do this that when we include our children in the process of creating a home their home life right it builds to that independence it builds to that long-term advocacy for themselves now that doesn't mean you give away all of your decision making like my children know that dad and I are the ultimate decision makers right what we say goes but they have a place at our table and at any point they can come forward and say I want to talk about this rule or I want to bring something forward and there's an open space for it and we we all put our cards on the table like hey this is what we need in order to make this successful and together we design the situation and so that just reduces the drama because everybody's together there's no power struggle there's no my kids don't leave situations you know I hate you or that's unfair like it, they might not like the decision but they've understood it they've had a chance to present their side of the argument they've you know they know that we can make a decision and then revisit it in a couple weeks if needed and so the whole like you know shoulders to your earlobes tension just drops and it's not filled with drama it's filled with love and joy and understanding and compassion and we're, we're oh. moving forward together you know I love one of the seven habits one of my best seven habits that I keep repeating to my children is seek to understand to be mm -hmm. understood and I feel even when you say sometimes we have very passionate conversations as parents we need to create conducive environments for our children to actually have their voices heard and yeah. it actually helps the process because they feel if there was an ultimatum or there's a rule or a consequence or um, a decision that was being made contributed to it mm -hmm. I I have to be accountable to somebody and they become part of that process they actually do take over um, some of the process and they help even the parents at that situation feel like they're not hovering over the kids parents who are hawk parents the ones who are just hovering around their kids and then suddenly the children have to go to school and you feel like you're losing control and yeah. so I just tell them you know what make your children part of the process and how they decide 
decide to actually deal with situations in life would be very different for, from how you would have dealt with them because we are all different. And I hope that in this conversation, dear parent, you are learning something. You are trying to understand that you are not alone in this space. You are not your situation of having children with ADHD. Um, you're feeling overwhelmed. You can get support. You can get tips and tools. I am here for parents because <laughs> yeah. while there may be cultural differences or, or needs, it's really my work is to help you feel most empowered as a parent, right? And so it's about listening deeply on my end and then helping you feel whatever's in your way, right? Like let's get through this so that you are showing up in the most amazing way for your child and that and there just doesn't need to be as much tension around it and you feel like I've got a handle on this yeah. and show up as your best self each and every day. Absolutely. So within your interaction with children, so apart from your own two, um, can you share maybe a success story or a situation where you felt, you know, when you introduced technology or a parent introduced technology to their child with ADHD, they responded in a positive way. Do you have? I do. So I was working with one um, family and their child was a little bit older, but they had had a really restrictive um, technology life prior because they were uncomfortable with it and their son um, wanted to play more and more video games. And so one of the things that came up was that the, a, a point of frustration is they were saying yes to different games, but it was interfering with other elements of their life. So um, they were coming home after school, playing games, and then it was time for dinner or it was bedtime. And the child would say, I can't, I'm playing video games. And it was like, you know, turn it off. I can't because I'm in a game. It's time to come to dinner. I can't because I'm in a game. And it was causing these high levels of frustration and the parents are saying see we should have never allowed them to do this um they can't get off of it they're totally addicted and when we started to really uncover and we brought the child into the conversation and we kept digging down and looking at it what was happening was that the game that the kid was playing actually had consequences if they left mid-game and so they would get they could get banned from playing again and this was designed by the video game makers so that when people were losing they didn't just like log off because they tracked statistics and rank and stuff like that. So there was a real emotional space from this kid of like, if I just log off, I'm going to get banned from the game. And once we started to have those conversations and the parents were like, oh, we didn't know this, right? Like that was a missing piece of the story. Then they could make different decisions around, well, when should you be playing these games? How long do they take? And that was the other component. Sometimes if you lost the game, it only took like 10 minutes. But if you were winning, I mean, the game could go on for 30 or 45 minutes. And so there was this piece around how do we allow for this experience Experience to happen, but we don't want to sacrifice these other components of our of our family that are really, really important to us. And how do we also build in some understanding that if he says, I'm in a game, that that, that they know what that means now, right? That it's not them, their son just blowing them off because he'd rather video game than come to dinner. The other piece that showed up in this is that the game that he was playing also had a team element to it. And so he was online with either friends or people that he had met through a gaming community. And this like, just turn it off, it's, it's over. Um, was essentially like hanging up with somebody or just like walking away from someone sort of mid interaction. And that went against a lot of their like teaching them how to be social and teaching them how to have positive sportsmanship and how to be a team player. And so it confronted a number of places. This one moment with using technology confronted these sort of composing priorities that parents have, right? We don't want it to take over our lives and we want you to be a great team player and a responsive child 
and come and sit and have dinner and all the, all of these components. And it was through working together that we were able to have the parents very clearly be able to articulate, this is what's important and get some clarity from their child around like, why is this in conflict? And then together they came up with a whole new paradigm around how they were going to navigate this game or what additional language they could use so that the phrase, I'm in a game, wasn't quite so triggering and he could communicate what he needed or how long he thought something was going to take. And it was beautiful. It went from being this like raging point of tension and, you know, forget it, we're going to take away your computer and we're going to, you never get to play again to this like, oh, we understand what your world is like and you understand what we want and now we can move forward together. Wow. Um, that sometimes when your children are playing games and there's an element of teamwork, we need to understand. How do you introduce technology to your child when you probably either struggle with the participation of technology or you get frustrated by the idea of technology? So where do we go from there? Yeah, you know, and that is the plight of parents. I think um, if we reflect back when we were kids, or at least when I do, I remember my home had one telephone in it, right? We didn't have um, voicemail or any of that. And I remember like when we got that first like cassette, like big box player that like you could hook into to get voicemail or when we first got the VCR, my parents didn't understand it. My sister and I were the ones who had to like set everything up and make it work. And we were the most excited about it. And I think there's just a similar component here that there is this piece around the technology is moving fast, but we can really sit first and say, why am I bringing this into the home? You know, or what do they need it for? And what is really important to me? And if it's the safety component, if it's the um, amount of time online, like what are they really worried about? And I think if we get clear on that, then we can navigate the technology well, because there are ways that we can flat out restrict usage, right? There are parent controls you can put on different devices, but ultimately it's about teaching our kids how to navigate this world. And yes, it feels like, well, how do I help them navigate it if I don't even know how to navigate it? You're not going to be able to learn every app. And that's actually not what we want to do. What you want is to say, my, you know, you need to be safe online. So let's come up with a username that doesn't identify you at all. And here's why, right? So if you get clear of like safety is the priority, well, then the safety is going to be the, that whether it's an app they download or somebody they're talking to online or whatever those components are. And it's about teaching them why it's important because we can't learn every app. I mean, there's thousands out there, you know, and there's probably a thousand that were created today. And, and so that feeling of like, well, we have to know everything, but we don't. What we need to know is what's important. We're not, you know, you can put restrictions that you can't download an app without parent approval, right? You can put a passcode on it or, you know, don't like link your credit card to anything so they can't go and spend thousands of dollars inadvertently. Um, it does bring up other conversations. And I think sometimes that also makes parents uncomfortable or frustrated of like, you have to have conversations around virtual money versus real money and why you're not gonna buy skins in a game. And you're like, I didn't wanna have a financial conversation. I didn't wanna get into the value of money and those sorts of things. But, and I think that's part of the reason too, it makes us uncomfortable. And then we hear all the horror stories, right? That there's you know, all this explicit sexual content online and you know, predators and all those things. So yeah, so have those conversations and they will change change at different levels. But, you know, we have talked with our children. And when I was in schools, we talked with kids about like, if you're on a site that doesn't make sense, leave, like get off. You are, you are actually highly in control of what you consume, right? If you're not sure about something, ask an adult. And we, we let them know, like, you don't have to scare them, but you can say you're entering into an unregulated world. Like I wouldn't just throw you out in the streets and say, you know, see you later. Like, so because I'm not walking right next to you, you need to understand the things that are okay for our family. And you just get really clear on that. But it's not about like, you can 
watch this site, but not this site, because those are going to change. It's what's important. And I think one of the things that I have just learned from having a conversation with you is also that, that I even more have to change in terms of, um, you know, communicating and um, making, you know, my intentions known to people. Our choice of words actually can be a breaker or a maker. I remember on the onset telling you that I was writing notes. I've really written so many notes. I'm going to be sharing <laughs> snippets of the notes. But for me, it is the choice of words, um, especially where you, you want to observe and not judge. You know, being in a space where you accept that you don't know everything and it's okay. You can ask, you can learn. And I tell parents all the time, also make your children your teachers because the way they use technology is not how we use technology and it will never be how, it will never be the same. And sometimes I feel with our limited understanding, we frustrate our children because mm -hmm. we really do not understand. And so I hope as you listen to this, you will start changing your mindset. Um, should you be a parent who... Ooh. And another thing you just said, you know, video games, we're talking about sort of some of the passive play or the, not the active play, but this entertainment world. One of the things that has become really, really clear is that if we have aspirations for our children, whether it's doctors or business people or whatever it's going to be, technology is a massive component component of their world. So while yes, video games are part of it and we want to keep them safe, we also want to keep them totally empowered so that they can go live whatever their genius is going to allow them to live in life. Yeah. And by it, having it be integrated into their world and taking some of these steps now, I mean, we just don't know what in you know, 10, 20, 30 years is going to be out there for our kiddos. And we don't want them to be starting in 30 years. We want them to be growing with it. Yeah. If COVID is any indicator, and I think it is to very many of us, if you are not tech savvy, you are missing out big time. Our children are in a space where technology is a very big actor and a player in their lives. And so we want to make sure that they don't abuse, of course, um, the opportunities they're given. And it doesn't digress them from what they're supposed to be doing in day-to-day -day life. However, they need to balance and we need to accept that we have to engage them and expose them to some of these things. So what last words would you want to share with parents globally? Um, and also just a word of encouragement for those of us who feel very overwhelmed so i would say like if you have to keep a mantra in your head is like be curious not furious right like the 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 element of curiosity whether you are an early adopter and love all technology or you wish it would all go away and it could just like not be part of your world being curious is the best way to enter in and navigate this world whether it's curious about their behavior curious what they're working on curious how it's impacting them and it will open the doors and keep you in a real positive and powerful space rather than furious which is coming from a place of fear and anger and emotion that prevents us from being open to what could be possible and so when in doubt be curious and there like you said there's a huge community out there there's lots of us who are figuring this out you know jump onto your own google and be like should i be worried about or whatever it is that's on your mind and you'll find some resources and your kids are an amazing, amazing resource in that process. Time I have spent with her, the passion for just making people move from the 
please. So yeah, please reach out. You can find me at dramafreeadhd.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram with those handles. And there's a space there that says, let's chat at which will put you on my calendar. And I would love to connect with anybody who would just like to talk for a little bit and find out what's going on in their world and see if how I can support you immediately or long-term. Technology has actually made it possible for us to have this podcast. And I want to thank you so much for taking this time to be here, to just share your wisdom, to share your passion, to share your knowledge. And thank you so much for the love that you have for the people who are living with ADHD. I think you were describing me at the beginning, as I said, but also just um, thanking you for being in the space where you're willing to help. Thank you so much for being part of our community. Um, Remember, we are still living in the COVID um, pandemic. So please wear your mask. Please keep social distance and keep yourselves safe and each other. Thank you.